Hey there, audio community. The Sound Girls podcast would like to thank our sponsors, QSC, for supporting our program. And you may think pro audio when you think about QSC, but they're also about making the world a better place. They're committed to things like integrity and building trust and keeping promises. They promote thinking long-term, even when it's more work, and they value inclusion. They promote doing the right thing just because it's the right thing to do. So QSC is about a lot more than just audio, and we're very grateful for their support. So check out everything that they're about at QSC.com. Hey, sound girls, sound guys, sound people. Rebecca Wilson here, your host. The thing I love about Victoria Butash is that she's comfortable talking about some pretty vulnerable stuff she's gone through on tour. Of course, we covered some audio tech stuff too. Her job as a professor teaching live sound and how to keep yourself balanced physically and mentally when you're on the road. She's been working in pro audio for 11 years and been on tour with Imagine Dragons, Jason, Isabel and the 400 Unit, Sylvanesso, and so many more cool bands. And it was truly a pleasure to chat with her, and I hope you feel the same. Hi, Victoria. Thanks for joining us today. Hi, Rebecca. I'm so happy to be here. Yeah, you are coming to us from tour, right? Are you on tour right now? I am on the road, yes, but on a really quick break, and I bus call later tonight. Oh, you do? Where are you guys going off to? This week, let's see, we have two dates and then a break. So we'll be in Alabama tomorrow and then Bourbon and Beyond Fest in Louisville, Kentucky on Friday. Okay. Well, before we get into what you're doing now, I would love to hear about how you kind of found your way into audio. What was the path that you took? Well, I grew up in uh, a music-oriented family, and uh, my dad is a musician. And so I was around music and live performance and recording from the time. uh, Some of my earliest memories are centered around music. Like my first concert was when I was five, and I went to see the Culture Club. (laughs) Oh my God, cool. Cool. Yeah. And and everybody, you have the coolest hair. It's like this really cool (gasps) mauve pink. It sort of looks Culture Club-y, just... (laughs) <laughs> oh, thank you. It is it is brand new. I used to do crazy colors with my hair, but now I've been blonde for a while. So I was like, I think it's time to change it up. But yeah, yeah like it works. So you went to Culture Club and then it then from there. So you specifically remember at five years old, just remembering a concert experience. I do. Um, we had lawn seats at Blossom Music Center in Akron, Ohio. And I remember like being on my dad's shoulders and like dancing around. Like I had a culture club cassette and I knew every word to every song on both sides. Uh, And the human league was there too. And so it was cool to like have this awesome experience uh, seeing live performance from such an early age. And then my dad, of course, played in bands. So like I saw it on, you know, the smaller scale. I saw it from, you know, the local bars and the local clubs also. And like from that, like, I mean, audio wasn't always my centric focus. It was music. Uh, I played and I sang from, again, like some of my earliest memories were, you know, banging around on keyboards or singing along uh, with all the music that was around me growing up. So you're a piano player or a keyboard player? Is that what you'd say? Um, I'm actually, I would say that I'm more centered on guitar, uh, and, and bass these days, but, um, I kind of play like a plethora of things, which was nice because they were all available to me growing up. So I could kind of just pick something up and mess around and see what I, what kind of sounds I could get out of it. But my first lesson experience was on piano. (laughs) 
Okay. And you got to mixing audio how? Oh, it's like a sort of a weird road. I mean, Take I think a there. lot of It's people... always weird. <laughs> <laughs> so I have a bachelor's degree in music technology. And I think that so many programs in higher education, um, whether that be an associate's degree or even a trade program, are so centered on recording, uh, which is fine. There's nothing wrong with that. And like I went into my program thinking that I was going to be a recording engineer. But before I got to that point, I had had like some experience in live sound being around uh, musical theater in high school and being around my own bands, performing with my own bands in high school. And of course, through my dad and his bandmate, uh, his best friend, Rick, who uh, unfortunately is no longer with us, but he was such an integral part of me being exposed to recording and the recording process. And even uh, differences like uh, microphone placement or type. And he just had, you know, sort of this digital recorder in his basement in Barberton, Ohio. And he would go over there and and I would get to be a part of that experience. And how old were you then? Oh, then I would have been, that was like, that probably started when I was 10 or 11. Okay. Continued on like all the way through high school. And that was cool. That was an amazing introduction. And uh, Paul Teagle also is like in the band and, and he was a member of IOTSE uh, in the Akron and Cleveland area until his retirement. And so he also was a huge uh, access point to the live sound and production world. And these were just my dad's friends, you know, like these were people that I grew up around and who were such an amazing influence on my life and everything that I am now. So I I owe a lot of my path and my career to uh, my dad and my mom and all of their friends that were around. So yeah, uh, back on track though. So we, I went through a four-year program. I got my degree, but honestly, I was about halfway through my second year of college when I was like, I don't know. I think live sound is is more intriguing to me. I took an audio electronics class. I became very interested in audio electronics. And then I had my first opportunity to uh, have a live sound gig that was paying. And it came through my friend Joey, who I went to school with. And he was kind of like, well, you're interested in this. So like, you should really, you should take this opportunity which was awesome. And I was, I'm still forever grateful for the opportunities that I was given so early on. And it was, it was a small gig. Yeah. Okay. Tell me about it. I was just going to ask you. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it was a, it was a small gig in like a small ish to medium ish size, you know, local format venue on the West side of Columbus. And that's where I was living, Columbus, Ohio. And It was mostly like an open mic night at first. So, um, you know, it was just people, a couple of vocal mics, some DIs. It was an Allen & Heath GL2400 with some outboard DBX compressors and like a TC electronic reverb unit. (laughs) Um, Totally remember that stuff. Yeah. And I, and I actually, I'm a huge fan of the Allen and Heath analog consoles. Um, I use them in a couple of different formats and venues even after that. And I think they sound great. And they were malleable for what you were trying to do. I mean, we did, you know, uh, seven piece rock bands in that room on just a 2400. <laughs> so yeah, that's great. 
Yeah. And it was such a positive to have started out in the analog world also. And I really uh, just shout out to analog and everybody, every uh, educator out there also that is teaching the analog path before the digital path. It has so much relevance in understanding troubleshooting and signal flow. And I really do encourage everybody to understand analog signal flow and analog gear before jumping into digital or revisiting it if you're already in the digital world. But that's a really good tip. Nobody's ever talked about that. It's true for the troubleshooting aspects because so much of our job is during live is troubleshooting. I mean, a million outboard cables. It's not just a studio where everything's hard patched in. So that's brilliant. So did you do a lot of club sound when you were kind of a student and after? I did. So um, I kind of worked around different places in Columbus. I was also um, a cocktail waitress and a bartender. (laughs) During college, I was working a lot and going to school full time. So I was... I was pretty busy. And at the time that I graduated, you know, I, I had high hopes for what I wanted to do. And I wanted to tour really badly, but I really didn't have the means to get there. And so I really leaned on being in the service industry and like taking projects as I could get them. I actually ended up tracking and mixing an entire album before I got like my first like big like live sound gig. Like I was doing more studio work than I was live sound. And I was like, okay, all right, I can handle That's what's coming. Yeah, that's, that's what you do. You just do what comes. So how did you foray yeah. into sort of the more professional and maybe you could tell us about what you're doing now and you and who you're on tour with? Oh yeah, of course. So sort of the short path version is that I went to California in 2016 and I was hired on by California State University to basically be a lead audio technician for a 3-month summer arts program. And there I met Greg Harbert, who like now he works for NASA. He's an incredible, idealistic human being who is just like full of the most beautiful human ideas <laughs> that I've ever met. And <laughs> But he's also a techie. And so he was such a big influence on me sort of like reaching out and starting to look at what it would take to have more gigs. And so actually, so in between there, so I, I moved to California And I'm also in the process of moving to Canada. So I have applied for a NAFTA visa. I got a job at an architecture firm and I was working (laughs) there and I moved there thinking that I would have sort of an easy path to permanent residency. I really wanted to live in Vancouver, which is where I was living. I had lived there previously working in a studio called Habitat Recording. That was part of my college program and I just fell in love with the area. And so I went and it became very apparent that it was going to be a lot more difficult than a NAFTA visa and living there to get permanent residency. The path to permanent residency, once you get there, it's um, sort of an open employment opportunity situation, uh, which would have allowed me to uh, sort of do, you know, what I what I wanted to do. And I was also like under the table um, <laughs> working uh, anyway, doing live sound. I've done that. So I know. <laughs> so what was the next step after that? Well, I hit a point where it was like, okay, I have to either start renewing my NAFTA visa or I have to move. And I decided, you know, life circumstances, financial circumstances, I wasn't making that much money. Vancouver is also one of the most expensive and divided cities as far as wealth in North America. And I was realizing that I 
wouldn't have been able to stay on my own or of my own volition for very much longer, whether that was because of the visa restrictions or because of financial restrictions. And so I started applying for jobs back in the United States with my eye on Austin, Texas, which at the time it was going to be New York, LA, Nashville, or Austin. And at the time, Austin was by far the cheapest place to go. (laughs) I would not say that that's probably the case anymore. Yeah, probably. South by Southwest (laughs) has exploded there. It's so great there. Yeah, I I love it. And I I still live about 40 minutes outside of Austin now. um, And I I love it there. I've met so many amazing people and had so many opportunities. But and, and leading into that, I applied for two production companies and one of them said, uh, yeah, we'll hire you. Uh, We'll bring you on sort of like in a full-time capacity. And they offered me $50 more a day than the other place. (laughs) So I went with that. And I literally packed everything into a U-Haul and I drove drove straight to Austin. Yeah. And so like, you know, made some like side stops on the way, like got to see some really beautiful things. And then I ended up in Austin and that was where I sort of got my foot in the door as a tech. I wasn't really mixing a whole lot at first, but I became, you know, an A2 essentially in the shop that I was working in. And was the production company an audio only production or was it more like producing events and stuff, all kinds of stuff? So they have several shops across Texas. So they do have like a lighting and video division and a staging division. This shop though was only audio. Okay. Yeah. And it was, um, it was intense. I mean, wow. I literally moved from like a very temperate, you know, somewhat cold climate to Austin where the shop had somewhat of an air conditioning unit, but you had to close all the doors (laughs) and it was like, outdoor gigs all the time and I moved yeah. there in like late spring <laughs> so oh, it was goodness. already hot and I was like whoa what's happening outside mixing yeah the tents all that the rainstorms in the yeah. summer so then did they do mostly music or was it all did you get your foot in you know being a tech for all kinds of stuff I'm just thinking of listeners and what you would suggest as far as who, if you were going to get a gig with a production company how you could best benefit if you were most interested in audio I mean, I think that now production value has skyrocketed as far as visual value. Even if you're into video doing a camera op or anything like that. And so I think it depends. I think more of the flavor here is like, do you want to do corporate audio? Do you want to do corporate productions? Or would you rather do sort of like concert and like commercial production? And does, I mean, it I does think- feel like there's a divide there. It's either or. So if you're looking for audio work with a production company, definitely, if you're interested in music, I've found that certain companies, that's all they do. But the corporate companies do both. But even then, even when you're working music, and you come off tour, sometimes those corporate gigs and those corporate production gigs are what paid me for like a couple months oh, when I yeah. was off tour. So I think it's valuable both, but I agree with what you're saying that it's sort of either or. But if you can get your foot into both, um, I mean, it is like, especially um, for anybody who something that some people don't think about as they're entering, especially the touring side of the industry is that you will have downtime um, right. and you will 
be off the road. And so it's important to garner your relationships with your local production companies or local venues to be able to sort of have this landing pad when you get home. And, you know, if they if you make friends and if you do a good job, they will call you. And they'll want to know what your schedule is because they'll want you to come in and they'll want you to be the house person or the house tech. And the industry needs people right now. So, I mean, this is a it's it's a good opportunity now to get in to learn something and, and form these relationships that will be lasting as long as you continue to, you know practice the golden rule and do a good job. That's right. That's right. So how did the transition happen to getting on tour for you? Really suddenly. Um, <laughs> it always is. <laughs> so I was going through, you know, quite a bit of like personal life turmoil. And like, all of a sudden, I get this cold call from this Texas country band. And they were like, hey, we need a front of house engineer and a production manager. Can you do it? And at the time, I was like, yeah, please get me out of my apartment. (laughs) And (laughs) it ended up being, you know, this very pivotal experience. It was a woman-fronted artist also, which is like amazing. And I really enjoy working for femme-fronted and inclusive groups. And and so that was like amazing. 10 out of 10, you know. Who was it? Her name is Kimberly Dunn. And they are now Nashville-based, but they still do a lot of the Texas country runs in markets. And so that was cool. And I met, again, like, it, it just seems like you garner all of these really beautiful friendships in this industry. It's one of my favorite parts of being in the industry. And so it's, like, amazing that you meet all these people that are then part of your life, you know, forever and are close friends. And so I, I did that. And then I was doing that for a while. And then sort of out of nowhere again, like I'd made this connection from posting about working at the Formula One US Grand Prix uh, with my my really close friend and uh, roommate now, her name's Melanie Renniker, and she's also uh, touring with Shovels and Rope. And we did oh, this cool. gig together with this like legacy Adamson systems rig. <laughs> and I posted it. <laughs> Because we were like in the mud, it was raining the whole time. And I can't, I think I put it on the Sound Girls page, and I was just like, (laughs) like, you know, we like were doing like sort of like a hard style pose in front of like (laughs) this wild giant Y18 and like T21 rig. And so it was just really (laughs) funny. And then Jeremiah Carney from Adamson Systems uh, reached out and was like, that's so cool. Like, can I send you some, can I send you all some swag? You know, like, thanks for posting. And so I kind of formed this friendship with Jeremiah through that. And then again, sort of out of nowhere, he was like, hey, sound image needs somebody. Sound image from like out of California and Nashville, like they need somebody, their systems person just like dropped. And at the time I was working for an Adamson house in Austin, like when I was off the road and had had some experience with their S series and of course, like their legacy series and So I was like, oh, you know, that's like a lot. That seems like a big opportunity, maybe. And I like was, you know, thinking about it, you know, uh, and then he offered, um, he said, hey, let's go do this install in Kansas City. It's with the same rig that you're going to be taking out, you know, we'll get you certified. And so he went through all of this to like help me out and like, I got to go to NAM that year, you know, and like hung out with the Adamson people and, and got to know everybody. So they got me like certified on the E-Series rig. And then I like went out with Sound Image. And sort of from there, everything just kind of kept 
coming. I think a lot of people's experience is that once you get a gig um, and it's the gig, you know, um, your offers kind of start coming because you make these relationships and you form these relationships. So when you went out with Sound Image, were you you were a front of house systems tech? I was. And uh, yeah. And which tour was that? That was the Rob Thomas chip tooth tour. Oh, great. I love Rob Thomas. He is so nice, like totally wonderful human being, uh, really takes care of his people. Again, lifelong friends on that crew. And I really cannot say enough good things about him as a person also. <laughs> so, What did you learn the most being a front of house systems tech? Since you had a lot of time kind of mixing too, what did you learn that you didn't know that you would learn being a systems tech? Oh my goodness. So much because I, I was, so I was doing front of house systems previously with like regional and local uh, companies. And so I had had some experience on that level doing festivals, even um, stages that were uh, pretty large rigs. As far as this goes, <laughs> I think on a larger <laughs> scale, when you are starting out, listen to Always be listening to the people who know more than you because there are so many of them that are experts and have like the most amazing sensational advice. Even things such as like how to coil your cable into a two space trunk so that you can keep your like stage left main hang motor cable and NO8, like in a very sort of like, how do you spin the case when you're bringing in the PA to make it like, uh, yeah. Or like, you know, in this stage setup, like, why would you put your amp racks in A instead of B, you know, formation? Like, why would that help you um, at the end of the day with your in and your out and keeping space for all the other departments? But I think some of the biggest things I learned were that respecting other departments is like such a huge thing. And communication Mm -hmm. with other departments is huge because we are all on the same team and all working on the same goal. My work is just as important as everybody else's. And doing my best to not impede anyone else from also doing their important work is important to me. (laughs) Oh my gosh. I think we all have that (laughs) moment where somebody's like, whose cable is this? I can't move the truss. And then you have to like go and like be like, sorry. yeah. And then you have to have five people help you move something. And then you then you realize how integrated everything is. I had that. Absolutely. Yeah, it's hilarious. It's a a moment. And I think that it's a a fantastic lesson also uh, just in like communication and and organization. And you can't take it personally. Um, Again, that's right. It's just the job, you know, and it's going to come up. That conflict will come up. But it's still you know, it was a, it was a good moment for me, especially. And I think another thing that was probably even more integral than that was that tour taught me that like, you absolutely have to be in tune with your body and you Mm. have to know when you have to take a break or you need to seek out like medical attention or, you know, I had this wild thing happen where I got a bacterial infection in my mouth because I was like not able to always wash my hands before I ate because my days were so packed. Oh my God. I believe it. Yeah. Wow. I'm sorry. And that must've been horrible. It was very scary at first, but it was super treatable. Like as soon as I was able to peel away one day to like get antibiotics, it went away immediately. But like, I mean, so many people will just work 
through things like that. I and did. you are, I did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And I think, I think that there are some things that are totally passable. Like there are some things where you can be like, you know what, I, I feel cruddy today, but I can work through it and tomorrow's a day off and I can hit a minute clinic or something on, on a day off. But I more and more, actually, I would say it is probably less glorified now than it was previously to just work through major problems, Thank <laughs> um, goodness. like Thank physical goodness. issues. Yeah. And I'm glad to see that more people are reaching out to get help. And that's both physically and mentally. But, mm-hmm. you know, still every once in a while, you see something pop up where something very dangerous is being glorified. And I just, I can't get behind that. I mean, I can't imagine being in an office space where you're like, in anaphylactic shock and like no one's helping you and they're like got to get those reports out Brad <laughs> you know <laughs> and so it's like yeah or people just, who are you know, like still you know people who partied the night before climbing on ladders or or whatever it is you know it's just i i'm glad you brought that up nobody's ever brought that up thank you yeah i think that you know it, that is also a, a huge thing you know and and i'm not here to pass judgment on people for, you know, their personal time coping mechanisms or anything like that. Because I mean, we're all out here. We're all out here doing the same thing. And it's we're harder rock for and some roll. people. Okay. We're yeah. in rock and roll. And you're going to come across it. But like, absolutely. I mean, I have seen some sketchy stuff where people were <laughs> maybe not their best selves that day doing some yeah. pretty uh, dangerous work, you know, and I think also, one thing that is really great, and I'm sorry, I'm totally straying off of the systems thing. Uh, this is so much more of a sort of ethereal conversation. But it's good. It's good. I love, too, that there seems to be, at least in my camps now, more of an open access to conversation about being like, hey, I don't feel well, or I need to take a break because like, I'm mentally not having a good day, or like, I have, you know, generalized anxiety disorder or some sort of chronic depression or anything. And it's it's so much more of a caring environment now than I've ever seen it. And that to me is like so much better for our industry than any tech advancements that we've seen. I love and, that. and that's not Yeah. And yeah, and it's not to downplay, you know, we are doing some truly incredible things right now as technicians and as engineers in our field. And that is, you know, that spans past audio, that's video, that's lighting, automation, everybody, the production value of current concerts and productions and tours is so amazing. And I it never ceases to amaze me when I see a beautiful production. I know. Um, I know. I mean, I th- you know, t- Billie Eilish, like some of her, st- just, there is so much happening. I, I can't agree with you more. If we were yeah. to steer it back onto, you were the systems tech for that sound image gig with Rob Thomas, then what was your next step? And also, how did you get to mixing out of systems tech? So I uh, sort of for the next year after that, I took on other sound image accounts. So I was with Imagine Dragons for a little while while they were doing, they were not touring, but they were doing like a pretty consistent number of one-offs in different places. And I got to go to some really amazing places. I did my biggest show ever at Rock and Rio in Brazil. With oh, that's them. huge. 
Yeah. Yeah. And it it was wild. I still like sometimes look at those crowd photos and I'm just in awe. Um I think it's the biggest convening <laughs> of humanity anywhere on the planet that's ever happened. I mean that festival right is regularly Glastonbury is also really huge, but that one is yeah. it. it takes it. So that's a milestone. It was. And um also to like work alongside again, like the other two major bands that were playing on our stage were Muse and Nickelback. And um oh I know that like a lot of people like to like I know that Nickelback is kind of an internet meme and I will die on this hill. <laughs> they put on an excellent show. <laughs> um, I, I worked a, a stage once that they were playing on it. It was. It was, but it is funny. I know they're great. And also their monitor engineer. I cannot remember his name. He was so sweet. Like, again, an an amazing person to work for. Okay, so how did you get your first was your first on tour mixing gig monitors or front of house? It was it would have been front of house. And that was early on with uh, Kimberly. And so that was my first like, mixing gig and I got to mix some pretty cool stages with her and she has a unique show and like a lot of different elements and so that got my chops up and then but honestly even as like a um you know a local a1 or a2 I I did quite a bit of mixing and monitors was always my favorite job like I have I have had some hard days as a monitor engineer but like still my absolute favorite and so um sort of what happened was so I finished out the year uh, with Sound Image. I had done Imagine Dragons, and then I did Morrissey in 2019. And then there were talks of, like, I was supposed to go to Russia. Imagine Dragons had some Russia dates. Uh, so I was planning to go over there. And there was also um, some talk of some, like, other bigger tours that were happening uh, later in the year. And I was just going to you know, hop on as like either an A2 or a PA tech and was like very happy with that because they were lengthy tours. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like kind of a good, yeah, exactly. (laughs) And then obviously, you know, (laughs) 2020 happened and slowly just kind of watched everything disappear, uh, scrambled because it was right at South by to pick up some like sort of offshoot South by gigs. And I just watched my entire livelihood disappear as we all did as we all did Uh, so then when you when we came out of the pandemic what was your first were you touring right away did you get a call I was not touring right away I was actually teaching as a professor of live sound at Austin Community College at the time which was an amazing pivot to be able to and, and again like Sometimes I have, uh, you know, I feel like doing a four-year program for production or live sound is extensive and it and it becomes very expensive if you're taking out loans in a way that sometimes it's not immediately recouped, you know? I agree. And so, agree. yeah. And, and, and so this is an associate's program. It's a two-year program, uh, like very fast-tracked with some amazing teachers. So, you know, it was funny to me, but <laughs> I had been somewhat anti higher academia for a while. Um, and then I ended up in this position where I was also like (laughs) the section leader of the live sound department and like teaching a full course load and (laughs) just, you know, and this is the first time that my degree had really like given me an opportunity that I wouldn't have had otherwise, because you can't teach without a degree. And so, I was doing that. And then in spring of 2021, I get a 
I, I get a text from my roommate, Melanie, and she's like, hey, I just got hit up about Sylvanesso, which I have been listening to them for years. I'm a huge fan. Like I, I had been a fan from their first album uh, all the way through everything that had been released up to that point. And I was like, really? And she was like, yeah, they're looking for them. Can you summon my name? <laughs> Here we go. And- Here we go. Yeah. And don't you think it helps so much when you know the band's music when you're mixing them? I mean, it can make oh you doubly gosh. nervous, but it just it does just for the ergonomics of our job. It's so helpful. It is. And it's helpful for us. But, you know, it is also so helpful for the band to mm. know that the person who is taking care of them enjoys what they're listening to. That's and. Right. I think that like, it, you don't have to like everything that you work on, um, but you also probably shouldn't be uh, so forward as offering information such as I don't like this music, <laughs> um, you <laughs> <No>. know, <laughs> um, but so you it, went it out was, with them and that that worked. It did. And it was I, I still think about. My first show, first of all, this is wild. Um, <laughs> we did we did all these rehearsals in Nashville at Soundcheck, and they were supposed to do the Super Jam at Bonnaroo that year, and then it canceled because of weather. And it was, uh, and then we pulled together this uh, showcase sort of show at Ascend Amphitheater instead with Phoebe Bridgers and Brittany Howard, and it was awesome. And that was like, and and that was and your so first I went from like, with them. Yeah. <laughs> oh my so, gosh. So nerve wracking. Your first gig. How did it go? It went amazing. Uh, and I also, <laughs> again, like made some incredible friends at that point because it was so, you know, Sylvanesso is a duo. It's typically just Nick and Amelia. And this super jam had like 12 people in it. And most people, like a lot of the people showed up. So it was like a lot of our friends who are on the psychic hotline label and uh like Jen Wozner, Adam Schatz who plays in Japanese Breakfast and all these people like doing this show and I was like okay like we're going to do it here we go and um yeah. you know some people had wedges and some people were on ears and I was I had this like massive show file because there were you know two <laughs> like drum sets slash percussion areas oh god and, I'm sorry um, that's so oh, nerve-wracking no. but how great you know, I love it so much. Um, honestly, I like, I love a challenge and I care so much about providing specifically like structural integrity to everybody's mixes, especially in a, in a situation with a lot of open mics and a lot of different inputs. I, it's like a puzzle to me and I love puzzles. <laughs> so, um, it's making all the pieces fit together for each person's taste. And, you know, obviously as a monitor engineer, there's some level of intuition that comes with it as well. That's right. Absolutely. Yeah. And so also I have to shout out like those people, Sylvanesso and like the crew surrounding them. It has been an absolute honor to work with them. And again, I, this is a group of people who is loving and caring. There are not any mean or negative words exchanged in a way that is hurtful. Um, it is always constructive. And they love and take care of all of their people. And I think that that is like so rare and so beautiful. And um you know, props to them. Yeah, that's great. Oh my goodness. Because a lot yeah. of times you don't get that. But when you find that it's so magic. It is. And that's why like I'm I'm continuing, you know, to pick up things with them when I can and picking up uh, like we're going to do 
um, some, a couple of things maybe later this year. And, and I don't know, they're just truly the most amazing people. They actually like, I, uh, am sitting at this hotel, uh, desk or like table right now. And they sent me a card that says you are magic. And we love you so much. Yeah. And like a little care package, which was really great. Wait, why so did anyway, they call you Tori? Out. Is Tori your other, is another name? Yeah. So like, oh, uh, yeah, it is like 50, 50 for me in the industry who is calling me Tori or Victoria. And I literally oh, answered to either or both. <laughs> so I don't know why um, I'd never heard that before Tori. I'd never thought about it. That's, that's, that's so cute. They sent you that card one time, a, yeah. a, a, a band that I worked for made me a t-shirt that said mixtress. And it was really cool. <laughs> I love that I, so much. I wore that thing till the sleeves fell off. Um, yeah. So tell us about what you're doing now and how that happened. Yeah. So um, we were finishing up the second leg of our fall tour with Sylvanesso last year um, in November. or early, I guess it was like maybe towards the beginning of the second leg. Um, and I, again, like cold text this time from Ben, who is Jason's tour manager and, and tour coordinator, asking if we can chat and if I have like any availability. And so I am like getting off the bus. Uh, it was day two of a two day show that was sold out in Madison, which was cool. You know, and I, I answer this phone call and I, I talk to Ben and he gives me the dates. And I think, I think at first there was some conflict because I was finishing up our tour in New York city, um, at terminal five. And then it turned out that like, they were also doing two shows in New York city, like literally the day after our last show. You're kidding me. That's incredible. (laughs) You have great karma. I really, you know, sometimes, uh, it's so funny. I always call it rollover, um, because sometimes, uh, you know, crappy things happen. Like, uh, my mom's, <laughs> my mom's favorite thing is parking karma when you get a good parking spot, you know? <laughs> um, but sometimes like if you give up the good parking spot, if you have good parking karma and you give up the good parking spot and you just walk a little bit extra, sometimes there's rollover. <laughs> oh, I like it. Rollover places. karma. And so that yeah. like the end, the, the New York dates kind of sandwiching back to back that's that's rollover karma for sure yeah and it was wild the first gig was like this wildly condensed gig it was a private auction show uh and the stage was like a fraction of the footprint that they normally have and i was super exposed to the audience of like obviously all of these like very wealthy people at this charity event and i was i didn't know anybody and i didn't know anything about the setup and the systems guy is also new and so we're both like ah you know but it was it was totally fine and it went well and uh the next day was at the capitol theater uh you know the famous capitol theater um uh, most of the people uh, in Jason's band and crew are huge fans of the Grateful Dead. Uh, so that was like, cool. <laughs> you know, they've played there before. Thing, right. Yeah. yeah. But you know, everybody, everybody loves it. Uh, so that was cool. And they liked me. So I got called back. How long have you been with them now? So since then, uh, so it's been almost a year. Um, okay. And my one year, I think my one year anniversary with them, we will be in Europe this year. So that'll be cool, you know, uh, to have been around for that long and, you know, we'll be in Europe. (laughs) Yeah. So I guess as we close here, I'd love for you to just 
take a moment to, if there's anything that we missed or anything you'd want to say to people who are maybe thinking about touring or starting out or just some things that you learned, it could be audio related or personal or anything like that. Oh boy. Uh, okay. So number one, I would say, uh, just as like a general piece of advice, but especially for anyone who is part of a marginalized group that works in the industry, advocating for yourself takes a lot of energy and in a perfect world, the people with the voice would always advocate for you. But unfortunately, that's not always going to be the case. And as uh, a woman in the industry who um, is also somewhere on the queer spectrum, like I have definitely had to, you know, I've, I've had to uh, stand up for myself. I've had to tell people very loudly <laughs> that I'm uncomfortable with words that they're using or the way that they have just touched me or things like that. And I mean, even as far as advocating for your compensation at the end of the day, it perturbs me to no end that we are, I'm still seeing posts for gigs that are eight hour commitments that are $175 plus drinks. Say what? Um, yeah. And I'm still Don't seeing. Don't ever take those, everyone. Nobody. Oh my goodness. <laughs> And it's, and I, and I, I mean, that was something I encouraged my students to take into consideration as well, even though they are just starting out. Um, you know, I don't really believe that like the way that we look at pay your dues is healthy. And I think that there is some obviously merit to experience and to have be or to being in adverse situations where you have to problem solve and, and understanding the types of issues that can come up. But Paying your dues does not mean being abused. And I think that that is an important thing for um, those of us continuing to work in the industry. I think we need to remember that. And also those of us entering the industry, we should remember that and um, take that into consideration. I absolutely appreciate you saying that because I, I did that. I was part of that crew, you know, 25 years ago that was like pay your dues. And now it, I agree it's abusive. There's a lot of people that, you know, are making a lot more money. They can pay you money. You can get paid for every job you do, even if you're training. And absolutely, um, I just so appreciate everything that you've brought up today between this and, um, you know, advocating for yourself. And also just speaking your mind on tour and taking care of yourself. Thank you for that. You're absolutely, oh, yeah. unbelievably poetic and well-spoken. Well, and thank you, you so much for saying that. Yeah. I, and you I, really, I think, if, yeah, keep going. I was just going to say, you know, and it's not like about, I feel, I feel like in some ways when I'm talking about advocacy, you know, I think people might, uh, who are entering the industry might feel like, oh, like I am walking into like shit show, <laughs> you know, like I'm walking into something that is a little wild. Um, but honestly, you know, I think that it's better now than it ever has been. Agreed. I think that it's constantly improving. I think that you will find the right fit. Also, um, this is like a total sidebar. Um, everybody gets let go or or walks away from a gig at some point. Um, and, and that's okay. So that kind of goes like with the advocacy thing too. Like people get let go all the time for re uh, reasons that aren't just like you did a bad job. Um, sometimes it's just not a personality fit. Sometimes someone's friend is suddenly available. That's um, right. Yep. And so and I, sometimes I would it say, just doesn't, I'd say energetically too. There are, there are like oh, yeah. things that you just can't communicate well with that artist. 
And I've been let go. I got let go once. It was it was horrifying. But I will say it was it was something that if they hadn't had done it, it would have been worse. You know, because Absolutely. I would have been banging my head against a dysfunctional relationship with an artist. It wasn't that they were wrong or I was bad, but it just didn't work. We couldn't communicate. Yeah. And I, and not everyone is going to be able, I mean, I've been let go too, and not everybody is going to be able to form a relationship with their artist that is going to be one, like you said, that's communicative and meaningful. And that's okay because everyone is different and not everybody is going to jive. And it's, you'll see it in your cruise as well. I honestly have been so lucky to work for specifically right now, two artists that um, the positivity and the care comes from the top down. And so, you know, our crews really do drive and we really do all get along and love each other. And that is, it happens, um, but it can't be the expectation every time because it's just not realistic. Um, And that's okay. And again, like you said, I think it is so important to remember too, that like, we don't have to point fingers. We don't have to place the blame. Um, All you can do is look internally and hopefully say, okay, I did this, this, and this, maybe not wrong, but like differently or incorrectly that time. And this is how I I can improve this and this and this in the future. And that's That's it. That's all you can do. That's that's (laughs) the best you can do. Yeah. And I think that's such wise advice to close on. And, um, and one last thing, if you had to pick one record that you listen to top to bottom that you love the most that you could tell people about, what would it be? Oh, boy. Uh, Okay, so I'm just going to go with the one that I was just listening to yesterday. It is a top to bottom record for me, um, because there are so many for me. I love music. I listen to music on my days off. I'm one of those people. But there is a band called The Preachers, (laughs) P-R-E-A-T-U-R-E-S, Femme Fronted. And they have this album called Girlhood. And it is top to bottom, an excellent listen, amazing production. Oh, it's so good. And it's like, uh, it's the perfect flow also for like anybody who, uh, you know, likes the slow jams versus the heavier jams, the dancey jams, like top to bottom, excellent record. Thank you so much for that. And I, I just, I'm so grateful for your time and all the wisdom that you've kind of thrown and thrown into the mix. It was a pleasure interviewing you, Victoria. Oh my goodness. Thanks so much, Rebecca. It was such a pleasure to speak with you and and listen to you too. I feel like these affirmations are like awesome for me and you and everybody else listening as well. All right. Good luck with the rest of the tour. Thanks so much. Hey everyone, big news, cool news. Take advantage of what I'm about to say. El Acoustics is offering four training certification grants for the second year in a row now. And everyone knows they have great sounding rigs. They've revolutionized pro audio with their line source systems. And now it's your big chance to take advantage of our partnership. So they're giving away four certification grants so you can get credentialed on their unbelievable gear. And one of the things about L Acoustics is they've been committed to using the scientific method from the get-go to shape their innovations. So don't miss this. For more information, go to soundgirls.org and type in grant in the search bar. All the details about who's eligible are there. The Sound Girls Living History Project is a collection of interviews with audio industry veterans. The project seeks to highlight the careers and achievements of women and underrepresented groups in audio. Interviews are conducted by Sound Girls members with guidance from experienced interviewers in the audio industry. 
Interviews will be available publicly in our Living History Project and for educational use and research. You can find the Living History Project on the Sound Girls YouTube page, youtube.com slash soundgirls. Hey, are you looking for more audio-related podcasts? Well, check out our friends at the Audio Podcast Alliance. To see all their podcasts, visit audiopodcast.org. The Sound Girls podcast is sponsored by QSC, and you can find new episodes dropping every week in all the normal podcast places. And for more info about what Sound Girls offers, which is a ton of opportunities and career support, check out soundgirls.org. The executive producers of the Sound Girls podcast are Becky Campbell and Susan Williams. This episode was produced by me, Rebecca Wilson, and edited by Christina Hiramoto. Our theme song was written and recorded by Jess Benton, and we send a big thank you to our sponsors at QSC, who, just like at Sound Girls, wants to help empower you with the right tools, support, and services to help you create impactful connections. Find out more info at soundgirls.org and qsc.com.